Welcome to the Hoffmantown Church Podcast. We hope you enjoyed this week's message from Hoffmantown Church. All righty. <laughs> so we begin. You know, I was thinking about this and I thought, first of all, that idea that came to my mind is, uh, you know, how do you eat an elephant? One bite at a time, you know. I can guarantee you, folks, that we're not going to cover every tiny detail of the entire Word of God. Some people have come to me and said, are you going through it verse by verse? And I thought, well, (laughs) I can't. It might take 30 years to do it that way, you know. We're going to take it in broad categories, and and, uh, I'm going to share that with you a little bit. Uh, It's going to be fun to just make sure that we get a perspective of the Word of God and, and get really grounded in this in a way that, uh, number one, we view Scripture as God's Word. That's essential. Uh, It's God's Word to us. It's His Word. And next week, we're going to take a little bit of time to look at how do we handle God's Word. Because there's a right way to handle it. There's a wrong way to handle it. We've got to be careful to make sure that we're people of the Word, that we get into the Word of God. But we do it correctly. We do it accurately. And then we're going to walk through beginnings, and we're, we're going to get there. We're going to go through all the different factors of, of Scripture, and it's going to be, uh, I believe, a wonderful time. I know it's already been challenging to me. Let me just give you a kind of a purpose statement, okay? I, I just This year, as you think about this study and, and what we're doing and why we're doing it, I put it this way. We want to establish and encourage every believer, each believer, more fully in the authority of God's Word, the Bible, And this is why, leading to a deeper love for and walk with the Lord himself. This isn't just for more head knowledge. Look, if if all we do is study the word of God in order to to let everybody know how much we know, we're really in a bad place. Amen? I mean, the reason we do this is because we want to know the Lord. We want to grow in our walk with him. We want to grow in our relationship with him. And folks, if we're growing in our relationship with him, if, if God is transforming us, if God is actively changing us in a dynamic way, that's going to be seen by other people. Because we can't help but share the hope that we have with others. And people are going to come to us and say, what is this hope that you have? And therefore, we need to be ready to give an account. We need to be ready to share with them the hope that we have in Jesus Christ. That it's not just a wish. That we stand on solid ground because this is God's word and this is what God has said. So my prayer for all of us this year is that we would grow in our walk with the Lord and our relationship with Christ and our love for the Lord. And in the midst of that, with one another, in the midst of that, as a community of believers, as we've looked at over the last few weeks, that we would begin to see people as God sees them. We would begin to be available to the Lord even more so, so that people who are without hope might hear the gospel of Jesus Christ and they may be saved. I want to share with you just some background information. Some of this is technical, so bear with me. <laughs> um, I hope you're involved in a K group because uh, I know these discussions are going to go on even perhaps more deeper than here. 
uh, in terms of some of the technicalities of how the Word of God was uh, brought about, how, how did we receive it, how was it formed, the canon of Scripture. Bill McCullough's done a phenomenal job of putting some of those lessons together. And I want to encourage you to get involved in those discussions and grow in relationship with one another, perhaps even more deeply. And, and I think it's just gonna, a neat year to just take a step back and really evaluate uh, what God has said and to grow in that. Uh, Wycliffe Ministries, you've heard of them. Uh, some of our people are involved with them. And uh, if you go to their website, they've got a lot of information about the Word of God. Almost 7,000 languages are known to be in use today. 7,000. 1,300 languages have access to the New Testament or some portion of Scripture. More than 500 languages have the complete translated Bible. 500 out of 7,000. More than 2,300 languages across 131 countries have active translation and linguistic development work happening right now. That's amazing. I don't know if you've ever run into people with Wycliffe, and and we've uh, been involved with some of the missionaries in Brazil and different areas of the world that go into places that nobody even knew existed, and the people that live there uh, didn't know anybody else existed. I mean, deep, deep jungle kind of stuff. And how they learn the language and begin to create an alphabet and a written language so that they can then translate the Word of God uh, into their, the, those people's languages. Phenomenal. Just phenomenal. Think of this one. 1,800 languages still need a Bible translation project to begin. 1,800. And translated into people, that's about 180 million people need Bible translation to begin in their language. 180 million people. Wow, that's overwhelming. Genesis chapter 3, verse 1. From the very beginning, God's word has been questioned, hasn't it? And I think when we think of the word of God, we think of God's word. We think of the, the Bible. We're talking about God's holy word. Satan in the garden, as it's recorded in Genesis chapter 3, verse 1, asks this question to the woman. And I think this is is a question we've got to grasp. It's a question we need to understand. It's a question that pertains today. It resonates in every one of our minds in some way, shape, or form. Did God actually say? Did God really say? That question... Against God's character, against his way, against who he really is. Truth, as David said, is an epic battle through the ages. Did God really say? You you hear it whispered uh, when you're challenged by faith in specific circumstances of your own life. You hear it challenged in the midst of life and in all its generalities. Did God really say that? Is that what I'm really supposed to do? Lord, do you really want me to do that? Lord, is that really what you want for me, for my family, etc.? And so the faith battle begins. The truth battle begins. And as people of the word of God, 
we begin to get into the word of God and we begin to recognize that God is true and every word that he has to say is accurate, that he is without error and we can trust him implicitly because God is faithful in everything that he does. His character is impeccable. The question becomes, do we really believe him? We just sang it, but do we really believe him? So this epic battle between good and evil, the defeat of death, the provision of salvation to a lost humanity, I think we're in the last times. I think that's pretty clear. People want to gather to themselves those who will tickle their ears. Tell them how good they are (laughs) rather than tell them how good God is and how in need of Christ we really are. I think in this stage, in this generation, if you want to put it that way, in this era, of American history, we're in one of the most biblically illiterate times ever. I don't know if you've heard stories. Uh, Christian teachers in public schools will ask a child, you know, who Adam is, who Eve is. They have no idea. You start to ask them about certain questions, and this generation doesn't know. We have the rise of the nuns. Have you heard that? Not N-U-N-S, N-O-N-E-S. Did I get my spelling right? The nuns, those who are more and more never entering in and never plan to go back, if they ever were there in the first place, to church. Over the last seven years, we've seen this escalate unbelievably. Folks, we have a challenge before us. Praise God, he's up to the task. He's not been caught by surprise by it. The question is, are we willing to trust him? Are we willing to walk with him in it? Are we willing to stand on the authority of God's word and trust God, walk with God? As teachers and pastors, proclaimers of truth, now more than ever, we need to be a people of the word of God. We need to be able to stand in the midst of all kinds of doctrinal error, To give an account for the hope that's within us, that hope being Jesus Christ himself. My concern is we're we're losing the meta-narrative. That's a fancy word for the big picture story of the Bible. And our culture, the generations that are coming up, are not biblically literate. More and more we're finding that we ask people certain questions about certain things. And they have no idea. Losing uh, the understanding of how valuable the word of God is. We own Bibles, but we don't ever pick them up and use them. It's become about activity. It's become about a lot of other things. We need to get back to the word of God. Because the word of God is a sword. It's living and active. It's sharper than any double-edged sword. It's able. It's powerful. (laughs) It doesn't leave room. For somebody to walk away, there's going to be a response in some way, shape, or form. The Word of God. George Meisinger isn't here with us today. Sandy is. And uh, we're grateful for George. um, Praying for him. But he's written a book on the canon. When we say canon, uh, we're talking about the scripture, the, the 66 books of the Bible. The canon of scripture. Canon is a Greek word, simply means the rule or measure. 
It's talking about the rule or the measure with regard to the, to the word of God. What is canon, what is not? What should be included, what shouldn't be included? And there's very specific tests in that. Men through the ages have spent a lot of time evaluating that. We have 66 books. But George wrote a book, and he put it this way. The Bible as a whole has a central theme. God's plan for man in time and eternity through the Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ is, therefore, the person who provides the continuity and timeless meaning and interest of Scripture. Man, that's good. The interest of Scripture. It's not just about places and, and people that lived way before us. It's, it's not just about all the knowledge that we can glean and gather and how it applies to our lives and how we can with wisdom walk, although all those things are good. Primarily, the word of God is about Jesus Christ, who is the hero of history. He is the central person of interest in the word of God. And there's no question about that. How well do we know him? How well do we know his story? Because that's what this is all about. The Bible provides us with insight into not only our past, our present, our promised future, speaks to a people that have been chosen for his glory, speaks of redemption through his son, the Lord Jesus Christ. It's through the Bible we learn our purpose, which is ultimately to glorify God, to make much of him, so that he is identified correctly as he has revealed himself. It is about the victory that Christ has. We're going to go through some broad things with this year and this study. Let me just give you a glimpse of it. We're going to go through the beginnings, and, and I think we've got a timeline to put up there, but uh, creation, evil, or sin, where did that come from? The family, Israel, how, how did all these things begin? When we look at Genesis chapter 1 through 11, we've got so much information packed into there. There's, there's a whole beginning stage of everything. And if you cut Genesis chapter 1 through 11 out... You're in a lot of trouble the rest of the way through. We're going to look at Israel and the law. We're going to look at the Abraham and, and the covenant, the patriarchs, the captivity of Israel, the, the forming of a nation as they were in Egypt, the salvation out of Egypt and the Passover and how that relates to us, the pictures of salvation that are given to us, Moses and the law, and Mount Sinai. Oh, my goodness. The whole earth trembled and the mountain shook and God's glory came down upon the mountain. Phenomenal. The response of Israel. Joshua and the conquest of the land. The judges, the kings. And no, I'm not going to do every judge and I'm not going to do every king. The exile and the split kingdom and how the north and the south separated. How they returned to the land and rebuilt the wall and the temple. We're going to get into the church and grace the Gospels and the life of Christ. We're going to take the four Gospels and look at the, the main issues of the life of Christ throughout that. The resurrection, the central most important fact within human history. Phenomenal. The resurrection. The church. What's our mission? What's our leadership to be about? Who are they? What's our message? What's our weapons? Weapon. What are the threats against the church? They've always been there. Then we're going to get into the end times. The day of the Lord, the day of Christ, the rapture. And no, I'm not going to go into that in detail. 
Some of you all, and what we may do in 017 actually is finish out Revelation. So I'm praying through that. The day of the Lord, the day of Christ, the tribulation, the great tribulation. What's the difference between those two things? Daniel's 70th week, the marriage supper of the Lamb, rewards. What do we mean by rewards? Are the crowns the rewards? Hmm. The second return of the Lord, Armageddon, the millennium, a new heaven and new earth. We've got a lot to travel through, folks. It's going to be awesome. So the Bible is the epic battle of truth that we're in. We hold this book and we read this. We love the word of God. We love the living word who is Jesus Christ himself. And as a result, we love his word. Because he's given it to us so that we might walk with him in truth. How do we view God's word? Well, you you may have heard terminology used that you're not sure about, right? We believe that the word of God is the inspired word of God. Amen? We've got that in our constitution, but I wonder how many people actually understand fully what that means. The inspired word of God. It means that it's been God-breathed. It's from him. Truly, the word of God is inspirational, But that's not what we're talking about. We're talking about the inspired word of God. We're talking about God inspiring something to take place, breathing something to take place, and using the authors in order to make sure that it was penned. That's taken place through the ages. So much work has been done on this. It's unbelievable. The handwriting of people all through uh, the Old Testament era and how they were careful and meticulous to make sure that they had exact copies of the word of God, the letters, the prophecies, all the things that were written. Inspiration is the rule. When we talk about the canon or we talk about uh, the measurement or what should be canon, what should be a part of the Bible, what shouldn't be, we're talking about inspiration. We're talking about what is from God, what has been inspired by God, what is not. It's by the Holy Spirit 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 16 and following, Paul writes to Timothy and he says this, All scripture is inspired by God. He doesn't say all writings. Everything ever written, the Maccabees, the Apocrypha, etc. He says all scripture is inspired by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness. In 2 Peter chapter 1, verses 20 and 21, Peter writes this, but know this, first of all, that no prophecy of Scripture is a matter of one's own interpretation. For no prophecy was ever made by an act of human will, but men moved by the Holy Spirit spoke from God. Wow, what a beautiful truth. Moved by the Holy Spirit. Norman Geisler William Nix written a book called A General Introduction to the Bible. I would encourage you to get it and look through it. It's got tons of information in it. But they put it this way in terms of the canon of Scripture, the 66 books that we have. God is the source of canonicity. A book is canonical because it is inspired. It's inspired because God moved in and through the men who wrote in it. In this sense, canonicity is passive. It is something, catch this, this is huge. It is received from God. Folks, we didn't come up with a canon. God came up with a canon. 
All men have done through the ages is to recognize what was from God versus what's not. Amazing. The 66 books that we have in the word of God are canonical because God inspired them. And there are certain tests to make sure that they ought to be included within the canon. Some writings are not included. Some are, obviously. The bottom line is the word of God is God's word. It's God's word to us. It's God's word for us. It's from him. It's not been created by man. It's been recognized by man. It's been received by man. When we talk about inspiration, there's two thoughts that go with this that I think are absolutely imperative to understand. When we read the word of God, understand the word of God is inerrant and it's infallible. Inerrant means it is without error. And I would simply add this, in the original autograph. There's scribal error. There's translational error. What we're holding in our hands is a translation, and it is absolutely from the Lord with regard to its message. And it is totally sufficient for salvation. It is totally sufficient as our final authority. But when we talk about perfection, we're talking about the original autograph. When that author got through, having been inspired by God to write what he wrote, it was absolutely without error. And I would even say this, it's infallible, meaning it could not have error attached with it. Think about that. Why? Because God is perfect. God is perfect. God cannot err. Think about that. When he passed on, when he inspired through the Holy Spirit, the men who wrote the word of God, his word, scripture, is not only without error, it could not have error attached with it because our God is perfect in everything that he does. As a result, the word of God is our final authority. Our final authority. It speaks to life, how we ought to conduct ourselves, what God's expectation for us is. It speaks to how we ought to live life. It speaks to our relationship with him through the person of the Lord Jesus Christ and the need for salvation. All the different aspects of what it is to be human and why we were created, all of it is included in God's word to us. Phenomenal. The Old Testament has 39 books, Genesis through Malachi. And just a couple details about this. The Old Testament canon was completed probably in 400 B.C. It's interesting. You can read and research this. But Ezra, when they came back from uh, being in exile, put together what was called the Great uh, Synagogue or the Great Assembly. It was about 120 scribes. And they took all the scripture, all the writings, and they began to formulate them into the Old Testament Canon, the Masoretic text. Phenomenal the work that Ezra did. Phenomenal the time that they put in to all of this. The New Testament has 27 books, Matthew through Revelation. It was written during the time period probably about 45 A.D. after the Lord uh, had resurrected, after he had been born to about 100 A.D. So it was very close to when he was saying these things. Uh, the book of Acts, as we've went through over the last couple of years, is just a record of the early church. All of these things were written. 
by people who were firsthand witnesses. The apostles or people who knew the apostles well, who had been taught by the apostles. The canon was recognized. It was a, a process over a period of time. It was recognized certainly at least by the mid-300s. Athanasius, <laughs> say that name five times, right? One of the church fathers. Oh, well, they found a letter, an Easter letter that he was writing to one of the churches, and he put into that letter that there are 27 books that you are allowed to read within the church because he recognized the canon. And at that point, they had the canon. They had the 27 books, the Gospels all the way through Revelation, that they recognized as being from God, as passing the tests to be included within the Word of God. Men such as Arrhenius, Polycarp, Eusebius, Athanasius, as I've mentioned, John Chrysostom, Jerome, Augustine, later on Luther and the reformers such as Calvin, all help protect the canon, recognize the canon, make sure that we have in our hands today the canon of Scripture, the Word of God itself, the 66 books that are God's Word to each and every one of us. We can trust the translations. They're phenomenal, folks. The work that goes into this stuff is unbelievable. They're authoritative. The original autographs are infallible and inerrant, even going to, as the Lord talks about, every jot and every tittle, every comma, every dash. The Word of God, what does the Word of God mean to us? Oh, folks, it's everything to us. Jesus Christ, the living word, has breathed his word. The Holy Spirit uses the word of God in order to teach us, to grow us, to change us. What do we view the word of God to be in our lives? How essential is the word of God in our lives? Well, the first thing is the word of God is a lamp. It's a lamp. Psalm 119.105 says, Your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. Isn't that beautiful? How many of you are dependent upon that every day now? I mean, amen. We recognize that the word of God is everything to us, that God uses his word in order to teach us, to grow us, but also to lead us, to direct us. How desperate are we in order to be led by the Lord, to know exactly what step to take, when to take it, when to pause, when to move forward. The word of God is a sword. Ephesians 6, 17, he says, take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit, which is what? The word of God. The word of God. It's a sword. Why? Because it cuts through. I love that picture. All the chatter, all the nonsense. Right? We got all this denominationalism. We got all these religions all over the place. We got everybody with every idea in, in the history of mankind. And it seems like today, more than ever, there's just this collision of ideas. And the Word of God cuts through it all because the Word of God is true. It's God's truth to us. Hebrews 4.12, the word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, and piercing as far as the division of soul and spirit of both joints and marrow, and able to judge the thoughts and intentions of the heart. There's no fooling God. And when you get into the word of God, it is a mirror that reveals clearly to us who we really are without Christ. It cuts through all the pretenses, all the facades. God's word is a sword that cuts through it all. Because God's word 
is sharper than a double-edged sword. Well, God's word is eternal. It lasts forever. What the Lord has said has eternal validity, and it will not pass away. Matthew 5.18, the Lord himself said this, Truly I say to you, until heaven and earth pass away, not the smallest letter or stroke shall pass from the law until all is accomplished. Or in Matthew 24, 35, he says, heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will not pass away. 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 24 and 25, where he's quoting from Isaiah chapter 40. He says, for all flesh is like grass and all its glory like the flower of grass. The grass withers and the flower falls off. Listen to this, but the word of the Lord endures how long? forever. And this is the word which was preached to you. That's amazing. Not one word needs to be added to the canon of scripture. Not one word should ever be taken away. It is complete. It is God's word to us. How well do we know it? How well do we know the Lord and what he has to say to us, what he's revealed to us. How much time do we spend in God's word? How much time do we spend with God in his word? This year, as we begin this year, I want to encourage you to chronologically read through the Bible. We put with the Compass Plus a chronological plan. If you follow a chronological plan, you'll basically be with me as we walk through this year. I want to encourage you to do that. Well, I'll tell you what, I... uh, Well, and I'll share this in a little bit. But let's look at Psalm chapter 1. What's a heart check towards God's word? A heart check towards God's word. I was sitting in a class one time and uh, felt very insignificant. I wasn't even really supposed to be there. They were only allowing certain age groups into these classes. I had gotten special consideration and I was allowed into it. So I I was very quiet, sat in the back. (laughs) That's basically the bottom line, right? And I remember this girl and the professor having a dialogue about God's word, talking about Sunday school. You know, we call it K-groups now. It's Sunday school. You can call it whatever you want. It's just a fellowship time to get around the word of God in a deeper way and build relationships with one another. But be that as it may, she was talking about her teacher who had no relevancy when it came to teaching the word of God. All he does is teach the word of God, but I, I never know what it means for my life. And I remember listening to this, and I was thinking to myself, what are you, what, what, wait a minute. If you're really teaching the word of God, how is that then that the word of God, through the Holy Spirit of God, is not teaching you what it is that God's word has to say and what he wants for your life? How's that possible? What are you listening to? Now, I'm not saying there ain't bad teachers, Right? But I remember sitting there listening to this dialogue and inside I was ready to explode because they were talking about methodology, methodology. We got to change our methodology, all this kind of thing. And I remember thinking to myself, and I think the Lord spoke this to my heart, Jesus Christ is the methodology. Folks, when we get into the word of God, Jesus Christ will speak to your heart. He may share things with you you don't want to hear. He may invite you into something that is a little too deep and you get a little nervous about it. 
But folks, when the word of God is brought to bear, (laughs) the word of God is a, a sword. The word of God is living. The word of God is eternal. The word of God endures forever. And the the Lord will use his word to make an impact in our lives. (laughs) That's exactly right, Chad. Amen to that, right? How blessed is the man who does not walk in the counsel of the wicked, nor stand in the path of sinners, nor sit in the seat of scoffers, but his delight is in the law of the Lord, and in his law he meditates day and night. Wow. Or Proverbs 1, seven: the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Fools despise wisdom and instruction. Psalm 119.103 says this, and I, I think this is so beautiful. What's our heart attitude towards the word of God? Has the word of God become dry to us? Has it become academic? Has it become something that we just read in order to go through it because it's our duty? Or is it our recognition that the word of God is God's word to us and that it is a love letter to us? It is our purpose. It is everything that God has desired to say to us is in the word of God contained there. And therefore, we have an opportunity to know God even more fully in the midst of our relationship with him through his word. Psalm 119, 103 says, How sweet are your words to my taste. Yes, sweeter than honey to my mouth. How sweet is the word of God in our lives. How sweet is the word of God to us. I want to close with 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 2. Where Peter puts it this way. He says, Like newborn babies, long for the pure milk of the word, so that by it, meaning the word of God, you may grow in respect to salvation. Long for the pure milk of the word. Hunger for it. Thirst for it. Like a baby who's newborn and needs that milk for the nourishment in order to be able to grow. Long for the word of God. Because it is the word of God that grows us, that deepens us, that we depend upon in order to direct us that transforms us, that empowers us, we begin to share with others what God's word is and the hope that we have in Christ Jesus. I don't know what your salvation story is. Mine, I don't have the time to go into all the details of it. I'll tell you one thing. When I was 10 years old, I had gotten a job, I think it was shoveling snow, and I had earned enough money that I wanted to go buy my own Bible. And I did. Went and bought a little leather bound. I was so proud of it. It was probably bonded leather. <laughs> Got this little Bible. And I made a decision when I was 10. I was going to read through the whole Bible. And I did. I read five chapters in the morning and I read five chapters at night. And when I got to the end of it, I thought to myself, well, I did it. Good. Put the Bible on the shelf. Later in college when I got saved, the Lord began to produce in me a hunger and thirst for his word. It's where I didn't ever want to put it down. And I knew that I had come to know Christ as my Lord and Savior 
because he would drive me to his word. It was like a newborn babe that just needed that nourishment, needed the word, needed what God could give through his word to me. And I've never doubted my salvation because I knew the difference. I knew what I used to be. I knew what God had changed me into. What's your view of Scripture? What's your hunger and thirst for Scripture? What is your hunger and thirst for God? This year, as we begin a new year, are we willing to say, yes, Lord, this year? I want to know you more. I want to know you more fully. I want to walk with you in every area of my life. I want to walk with you in such a way that I don't have any regrets. I don't have any regrets. All the things that you ask of me, Lord, is to the best of my ability, I want to lay down my agendas, and I want to walk with you in what it is that you have for me. Are we willing to get into the word of God and be people of the word of God so that we're transformed by the word of God in a way that God's glory is revealed through this body of believers, this community of believers, in a way that all of Albuquerque and New Mexico and this country and the world begin to recognize these are people of the word. They love Jesus Christ with everything that they've got and they are willing to sacrifice it all for Christ. Is that our heart attitude towards God? Is that our heart attitude towards the Lord? Thanks for listening to the Hoffmantown Church Podcast. We'd love to hear how God is working in your life. Everyone has a story. Please tell us yours. Visit www.hoffmantown.org and click on the Tell Us Your God Story link on the homepage to share yours with us. Thanks for listening to our podcast, and we hope you will join us next week.